Pastor Glenn. <laughs> we have Pastor Glenn Graham here this morning. Um, many of you may have met him. He's been coming here a few weeks. He is the former district director for Open Bible, and he's helped us in some tight jams we've been in. He's acted as a father figure for this church, and we appreciate that a lot. He's instrumental in the starting of Harvest House. He was doing Harvest House type stuff before we got involved. He gave us some of the stores that we have now. Yeah. So, hand that over to you. Amen. Thank Glenn you, Graham. Brother. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's great to be here with everybody this morning. Well, hey, let's start off by praying for Cambridge. Father God, we thank you for Cambridge, Lord. We ask that you make this a kingdom filled with fruit, Lord, for your glory, Lord. We ask that you would uh, prosper businesses here, that you would prosper the families here, Lord, that uh, the people would want to move to Cambridge because they know of your goodness, Lord. We ask that you use Cambridge and this Harvest Fellowship community here to strengthen the saints and to draw the lost to you, Lord. May it be known as a kingdom place. We give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hallelujah. Well, hey, this is week number four for the sermon series on hope. Pastor Brent's been uh, working through this series. The series is called Hope is Here, and this is message four, and this is hope for the doubter. So, uh, I think we've probably all been there in our walk. Anybody here have any doubts from time to time? No, n n none, none that anybody would admit, right? Well, this is, this is hope for the doubter. So uh, we're going to talk about that. And, and hopefully uh, after this sermon, there's very little doubt because we all know the one name we sang about, Jesus. There's, right? there's, the, there's, there's one thing that we can all count on, and that's uh, Jesus is the answer to everything. Right? So once you grasp that central truth, hardcore Jesus freak right here, that once you grasp that central truth that Jesus is the answer for everything, things like doubt and everything else just kind of wash away. So that's where we're going this morning. So uh, I'll start off by asking a question. Have you ever heard something that you thought was too good to be true? Something that when you first heard it, you said, there's no way. There's no way. I'd like to believe that, but... I don't know that I can. Well, I'm going to start off with three questions this morning, and we'll have you raise your hand if you think it's true, and we'll see how many of them we get right. So the first one is, do you know that every day, on average, 11 banks are robbed in the U.S.? Raise your hand up if you think that's true. That is true. On average, in the United States, 11 banks are robbed. So not many of you thought that was true. So, all right, let's try this next one. Do you know that you are more likely to be stung by a bee in windy weather? How many of you believe that is true? All right, that one is false. That one is false. This, this true-false stuff is hard, isn't it? It's because Jesus isn't part of the answer for either of those things directly. Okay, we're going to try one more. Do you know that they have square watermelons in Japan because they stack better? How many of you believe that is true? That one is true. That one is true. They actually have square watermelons because they stack better. And so, you know, <laughs> it's interesting. There are things that we hear in society where we'd like to think they're true, we'd like to hope they're true, or believe they're true. We come to find out that they are not. And, you know, 
social media, how many of we know we can't trust most of what we see on social media? Social media will taint you, will it not? It'll taint you. You, you hear things, you hear a lot of misinformation, and you'll hear a lot of things that are posted as truth, and they're really not. And that, that goes towards dragging people down. It, it, it makes it hard to know what is truthful and what's, what's not. You watch the news, you like to believe that's truthful, sometimes that's not. You know, everybody has a different lens that they look through things, and uh, we should have a biblical lens that we look through things, and when we look through that biblical lens, it helps us with our discernment, amen? But a lot of times we'll hear something, and we want to believe it, but when somebody, if somebody tells you something really good, what's the first time a lot of times you say? You'll say, no way. How many of you have ever said, no way, when somebody tells you something great? You want to believe it, but your first response is, no way. That can't be. And they says, no, it's, it's really true. No way. And that's because we don't want to believe it. And one of the reasons we don't want to believe it is because we don't want to get hurt. Right? We'll get to the, I think the next page talks about we don't want to get hurt. And the primary reason that we don't want to believe things is that we don't want to open ourselves up to getting hurt. How many of have have trusted people in the past, trusted friends, trusted family, trusted a story or an article, something we trusted, lo and hold, we found out that we couldn't trust it and we were hurt by that. And then what do we say? That happens, right? That's happened to all of us. And then our response is, is well, I'm never gonna let that happen again. Have anybody ever said, I'm never gonna let that happen again. I'm not gonna open myself up to that. I'm never gonna let that happen again. And we start to put a barrier up. We start to put walls up. Skepticism starts to reign in. And skepticism sometimes will overshadow faith. And we start to maybe listen to skepticism more than faith. And we start to uh, pay attention to things that are not in the Bible. Truths that are presented as truths, but they're not biblical truths. Amen? And if we read more news online than we read this, that's going to that's gonna hurt us, right? That's going to hurt us. That's going to that's gonna, uh, uh, put us a little behind everybody else. So when we have a biblical lens, we should walk with a, a sight on things that has a biblical sight and, and biblical insight and a biblical perspective that helps us to walk with a little more confidence. You with me? All right. Let's go to the next slide. It should be John 20. Read you some scripture here. So John 24. Now Thomas called the twin. One of the 12 was not with them when Jesus came. And hit the next one there. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. And so Thomas gets a bad rap a little bit in this. The Lord visited the disciples he was not there when, when he first appeared to them. And so the disciples are telling Thomas about seeing the Lord. Thomas says, no, I, I, I don't believe it. Unless I see his pierced hands, I'm not going to believe it. And so, you know, we've all heard the term doubting Thomas, right? He kind of gets a bad rap because I'll tell you, if we were there, my guess is we would probably feel the same way. Thomas, right, he, he saw his his best friend crucified, killed in front of him, 
you know, it, you would want to believe that Jesus came back to life. You'd hear a couple of people talking about Jesus coming back to life. You'd want to believe it, but at the same time, that's a, that's a pretty terrible thing to see. And you might be putting some walls up saying, you know what, I, I want to believe you guys, but unless I see it myself, you saw him. I haven't seen him. I got to see it to believe for myself. And so Thomas, I believe, probably responded the same way that many of us would believe if we were in the same situation. He's, he's protecting himself. He's protecting his heart, right? He's protecting his heart. And he's, he's, he's got that, that barrier up. And, you know, that's okay. We're going to find that that's okay because Jesus met him right where he was at and helped him work through that. We move to the next slide. So uh, scroll ahead just a little more here. So question one, we what choose to, we what to protect ourselves? What do you think the word is there? We, next slide, doubt to protect ourselves, right? We doubt to protect ourselves, right? We just talked about that. That's a, that's a common thing for us to do is to doubt. To, we do it as a protectivism because we don't want to get hurt. We don't want to get hurt. Make sense? We, we, we all acknowledge that, right? All right, next slide. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Right, so this is the second time Jesus is presenting himself to the disciples. The doors are shut. You know, the, a couple of the scriptures say the doors were shut for fear of the Jews. These guys were still afraid, right? They're, they're afraid. Jesus was killed. They're afraid they're going to be hunted down and they're going to be killed. So they're inside. The doors are locked. Jesus appears in the midst of them, and the first thing he says is, peace to you. Peace is shalom, wholeness, wholeness, God's peace, God's wholeness to you. He's telling them that to calm them down, right? If you're sitting in a room and Jesus just presents himself right there, that kind of started you a little bit, wouldn't it? And he had, a, he had a way of doing that. He did that to these guys a couple of times. They're already scared, Right? I mean, they're scared because of everything they'd seen in the past. They've got the doors locked, and then Jesus, boom, right there, just appears. Out of nowhere, that would scare you. Most of us, I think that would scare you. Not only is you having a little bit of doubt, now you're scared. And Jesus says, peace, be still. In, a couple, in, in, in another setting, he, he says it to them twice. The first time, I think, was to announce his presence, and then he says, peace, be still. It's, I'm here. Just relax, guys. And it's, it's a wholeness. He's, he's blessing them with a wholeness of his presence, right? And then there's one person he's going to turn his attention to in that room. Who do you think that one person is? Thomas, right? He's going to turn his attention to Thomas. And he's going to say, hey, Thomas, check this out. Let's move to the next slide here. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. 
do not be unbelieving, but believing. Right? And Thomas said that. He's, the funny thing is, is he's actually repeating what Thomas said to the other disciples. He wasn't here, he wasn't there when Thomas said to the other disciples. Thomas said, unless I see it and put my hand in his side, it's kind of one of those robust things, you know, you get all excited and you start, I'm going to put my hand in his side and then I put my finger there, then I'm going to believe. Jesus shows up and uses his words to say, hey, Thomas, come check this out. Do what you got to do. I want you to believe that this is real, I'm real, and I am here with you now. There's a, it's, a, it's a personal invitation, if you will, right? I, I think that is so cool that Jesus reaches out to Thomas. There's no shame. There's no condemnation. It's a personal invitation using Thomas's words. Using, Thomas, right, that was, he had that wall up. He said, I'm not going to believe unless. Jesus gave him the unless, right? He reaches right out to each of us. There's a lesson in that. He reaches right out to each of us with what we need to hear. He knows our heart. He knows each of us in our heart, and he knows what we need to be sustained in our walk and to strengthen our faith and have more hope. And he reached out to Thomas with those exact words and said that. I think that's pretty cool, right? I think that's pretty cool. And, and it doesn't say Thomas got up and went and touched him. And did, Thomas didn't need that. Thomas believed from that second right there, right? It's, it's actually a pretty cool story when you think about it like that. And you, we, we, you see this, this history of Jesus. Jesus has a pattern of helping people with their unbelief in the Gospels, right? One, one of those stories, I think we've got the next slide up there, should be, yeah, so it's Mark 9.29. This is when the, the, during the transfiguration, Jesus came down from the mountain with the disciples, and there was a, a boy that was possessed uh, by a demon. The disciples were trying to cast the demon out, and they were unsuccessful. Jesus came upon the scene, and the, the boy's father says, Lord, if you can help me, Please help my son, if, if you can. And Jesus kind of responds and says, if I can, you know. And he says, I, I will. And the, the, the guy, the father says, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Right? This is a father that would do anything to have his son healed. He would do anything to have his son healed. There's a crowd of people, right? This father with tears, right? He's, I mean, if, if the scriptures are, are going to call out with tears, I, I sense this dude was like wailing. He was, this dad was serious. He's crying, physically crying, in addition to crying out to the Lord Jesus, please heal my son. Please heal my son, right? He's pleading physically, emotionally, spiritually, heal my son. But then he makes this declaration. He says, I believe, I believe you can heal him, Jesus, but help my unbelief. Right? How many of us are there? I, I got to believe that there are times in each of our lives, we come in and out of these seasons, I mean, you know, 
we know Jesus is the answer to everything. I know Jesus is the answer to everything, but there are times in my walk with the Lord where I start to listen to something else or I start to forget, you know, and I'm like, Jesus, I need your help. I need your help. I've been walking with you a long time, but I need your help. I need a fresh touch, right? And sometimes I got to admit that I need help with my unbelief, right? The thief has lied so much, I haven't turned that dial, right? I've seen so much hurt in the world, it's starting to wear me down. And I need help with my unbelief. I think there are, all, there are times with each of us where we need help with our unbelief. And Jesus doesn't have a problem with that. He does not have a problem with us having unbelief, right? Because that's, that's what makes my faith stronger. Every time I get to a season like this where he helps me with my unbelief, that's another rock of faith I put on, on my foundation that's built on Christ because it makes my faith stronger because when I'm talking to my kids or when I'm talking to friends, I, I've got story after story after story of where I had a need and the Lord came and helped me, right? I, he, he helped me then. That's my testimony, right? Revelation says we're saved by the blood of the lamb and by the testimony, by our testimony. Each of us have testimonies. I have all these testimonies, all these, all these stories of my life that he has met me in my unbelief, just like he did this father. And that strengthens my faith and that gives me hope. Right? There are times when, when it, it, that I just I need a fresh touch and he meets us. And, and I love these stories like this because that's, this, this, is, this is what was in the background. This is, this is how Jesus ministered to people when he was walking around and teaching the disciples how to minister. He taught them for three years how to minister. And this is part of what he was doing as he was walking them through that. All right, next slide. So there's another scripture I want to share with you, and I think it's important that sometimes when we doubt, we feel like we're lonely, right? There, there, there's the help my unbelief, but there's also, you know, Lord, it feels lonely around here sometimes. And I know the, I know the biblical truth that he is always there. He's always with us, and there are multiple places in scripture that tell us he's always there with us. And it doesn't feel like he's with us, but, you know, he is with us, not because it feels like he's with us, he's with us because his word says he's with us. Amen? I'll, I'll pull the Pastor Brent right there. I'll, I'm, I'm going to try it on this side. There are times that it doesn't feel like he's with us, but he's with us because his word says he's with us. Amen? Amen? All right, that's good. I want to try it on this side now. Pastor Brent will know I pay attention when I'm watching him preach. There are times it doesn't feel like he's with us, but I know he's with us because his word said he's with us. Amen? All right. <laughs> this is one of these places. It's, it's, it's in Deuteronomy. It says, be strong and be of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord, your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. All right? He goes with us. He will not leave us nor forsake us. This is, this is requoted in the New Testament as well. And we have the promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That's a big deal, 
right? Because even when I don't feel like it, even when I think that I'm alone, I know Pastor Brent talked last week about God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son are in us and we're in them. They're, you know, he's by definition with us because we're believers, but sometimes it doesn't feel like it. He's always with us. He's always with us because his word says he's with us and he will never leave us. And, you know, I'm an accountant by trade. And so while I have faith, there, I, I think analytically, I like math problems. If this equals this equals that, then this has to be true. And so there are some, some scriptures that just mean more to me. A scripture like this, that's, this is like a promise. This is a promise that is always true. It's a math equation that is always true. And for me, as an analytical kind of person, I like the fact that Scripture says, he will never leave me nor forsake me. He's always with me, even when I do something silly, right? Or if I do something stupid, right? Not, I'm, I, I might be the only one that does that, but I hear a couple of yeps in there, right? We all do things where it's like, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Lord, I'm sorry about that, you know. But he's like, yeah, I don't worry, I'm with you. I wish you hadn't done that too, but I'm with you. I love you, I forgive you. You know, he's always with us, and I think that is just a really cool thing. Next, next slide, I've got another scripture up there, I believe, but we'll find out. All right, this is the tail end of the scripture we're running through. And Thomas answered and said, my Lord and my God. Right? He didn't touch him. He said, my Lord and my God. He made a bolder declaration than any of the other disciples did because now he, he knows, he knows. Jesus, this is a pretty big statement that he is Lord and God. That's a big deal, right? Yeah, that's a big deal. My Lord and my God. And then Jesus responds to him. Jesus says to him, Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed, right? You've seen me and believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And the cool thing is, he's talking about us. We're part of that blessed are those. He's talking about us right there in that room. He's talking about us. Blessed are those who have not seen yet believed. I believe. I've not seen the Lord. I, I've not seen his, the imprints in his wrists. And I haven't seen the, the gash in his side. I haven't seen that. But I know, I know. I know that I know that I know because I'm blessed, right? That's, that's just one of the cool truths that we have is Jesus is ministering to Thomas. He's ministering to Thomas and then the rest of the disciples. He's also ministering to us. He calls us out. Blessed are all those in the future that are going to know that I am Lord and God, but yet have not seen. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Very cool. Let's praise Jesus. I've got another scripture up there. I think it's Matthew 28. So we're all familiar with the Great Commission, right? Jesus sends the disciples out. He says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, here's the part we're getting to, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So I mentioned that in Deuteronomy, that was quoted throughout the scriptures. Well, here's another one. This isn't exactly a requote. It's him saying it another way. You know, he says, I'm with you even to the end of the ages. 
right? And so we've got the statement in Deuteronomy that talks about God's goodfulness and his faithfulness. And then we've got this during the Great Commission when he's commissioning these disciples to go be the early church. And he says, go, I'm going to be with you till the end of the ages, right? That's, a, that's a, another really cool promise. There's lots of cool stuff. There's whole sermons on, on, these, on this Great Commission. But I want, to see the, I want you to see the repetitiveness of his promise, right? We're never alone. He's always with us, and that should give us great hope, right? That should give us great hope. We, there's nothing we have to deal with on our own. Not a thing. Not a thing, right? We have a heavenly Father who has everything we need, and he makes every spiritual blessing available to us, all we got to do is listen and ask and, and walk in his presence. Isn't that pretty cool? Praise the Lord. So I, I'm going to share something else the Lord put in my heart. You guys are probably all familiar with Psalm 91, right? You gone through Psalm 91? So this week I was, I was dealing with this on a personal level, but then the Lord put it in my heart to share it at a corporate level. And, and so, so I'm going to. But I, I'm going to read you Psalm 91. And, you know, a lot, of, there, there, a lot of people talk about Psalm 91 because we've got this COVID thing going on. You know, all the craziness in the world. Whatever you want to define as craziness in the world. Uh, you know, there's goodness in the world that is represented by God. God is truth and he is light. And if it's not his truth and his light, by definition, it's bad. We agree with that. That's a that's a truth. That's a truth. Some people they like the gray area sometimes, right? They they like the gray area because the gray area means I don't need to de declare something that I might like, but I know ain't quite right. I don't have to declare. It's in the gray area, right? But I will I will state that there are things that are clearly spelled out in God's word. That if it's truth and righteousness and good, that it's from God. And if it's not from God, by definition, it's evil. That's just the way it is, right? And so keep that in mind as we go through Psalm 91, because there's, there's the, the, the title of it is Safety of, Abide, of Abiding in the Presence of God. And keep that in mind. We, we, God is in us, right? Pastor Brent's sermon last week. That's why we have this great hope. And this sermon about we don't need to doubt. There, there, there are things that can cause us to doubt, but, you know, if we really, as we start to step out and trust the answer to everything, the doubt will start to fade away. So, so let's check this out. We'll walk through these verses. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. Right? That sounds good so far. We, we need to abide in that mighty fortress, and him I will trust. That sounds good, right? All right. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. All right, so now we've got somebody trying to entrap us, the perilous fowler or pestilence. We've got people coming against us. Right? We've got people or things coming against us, and it says, Surely he shall deliver you from that, from that snare. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. 
all right? Have any of you ever seen little baby chicks and their mom, right? We have chickens at home, so we have baby chicks. It's the coolest thing. I mean, a mother hen, she kind of stands up. Those chicks run underneath there. When she sits down over them, she covers them up. She, no, not kidding, covers them up, keeps them warm, protects them, and she's not happy if you try to go in there and check on them, right? Just, that's, when the Lord tells stories, he did this in parables, this here is in Psalms, he uses these natural things that he designed to help us understand the kingdom, how the spiritual kingdom works. He uses these analogies to help us understand, Right? All you need to do is understand how the Lord takes care of us by watching a mother hen take care of her chicks, right? Those chicks, they go out there and they run around. They go do whatever they do, just like we do. But every once in a while, it's like, you know what? That might be a little danger out there. It might get cold out there. There's something going on out there. She'll chirp, and they know they better come back, right? And when they come back, they hide underneath her, and nothing can get to them, Right? That's the spiritual truth that God is talking about here when he says, he will deliver you from the snare. He will cover you with his feathers. Under his wings you shall take refuge, right? And then he goes on, he says, his truth shall be your shield and buckler, your shield and small shield. So you, you've got the shield of truth and a smaller shield that covers you, right? We need to understand his word to understand what the truth is. That's what protects us. That's what protects us, is his truth. And if we know his truth and we can declare his truth over ourselves and over our family, that helps. Amen? Right? We declare his truth. We declare his truth. That's what makes the difference. There are people that are going to come against us and they're going to, are you friend or foe? I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. So what does that make you? I don't know if you're a friend or foe. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I'm under his covering. Are you friend or foe? Right? Any evil that's formed against me? All I know is Yahweh is my protector. You determine whether you're a friend or foe. I'm not going to get lost up in categorizing. I just know where I'm at. I'm underneath the feathers, underneath the covering. You're either friend or foe, but I know where I'm at. I'm under the covering. The truth shields me. I got hope. I got that hope that that's there. You with me? All right. Verse 5. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. All right, so he's talking about peril and arrows and morning, night, and day, right? He's basically saying 24 hours around the clock, I got you covered, right? I got you covered. I don't care if there's, it's not too early in the morning. It's not too late at night. The heat of the day isn't gonna bother him. He's basically saying, I got you covered all hours of the day, whatever it is, right? That's the Graham, that's the Graham translation there. All hours of the day, whatever it is, I got you covered. Don't worry about it. Don't doubt it, right? Don't doubt it. If you doubt it, you're opening the door to something that you don't want to let in, right? Don't doubt it. Verse 7, a thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you, right? Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked, 
So I'll be honest with you, this is what I was wrestling with with the Lord this week. <clears throat> uh, on a, I, I've, I've had some... Uh, I've had some people close to me die in the last month or so. Last six weeks, I've had a number of people close to me die. And, and I was wrestling with the Lord about that because I have honestly seen him do so many miracles that my experience has been with him that he will normally do a miracle. I've not, I just... I was, I was struggling with my Lord, what is going on here? What is going on here? And I will admit that not everybody uh, that has died that's been in my circle were believers, right? They were in my circle because I was trying to convert them. They were in my circle because they were family. Or you know, I've got a circle of believers. I've got like rings of them. And I've got people out on the fringes that I'm trying to, I'm trying to drag them to the truth and try to reveal the Lord Jesus Christ to them. And when they, you know, well, that's a long story. So, but I was wrestling with the Lord. What is the deal with this? What is going on? Help me understand that. And I was telling my wife, I said, I was, he hit me so hard with the truth of his answer that it, it took me back. And, and, We'll go to the scripture I'm using for this doubt, this uh, doubt for the uh, hope for the doubter, is in John 20. It's when Peter was talking to Jesus at the Sea of Tiberias. After Peter, after Peter was restored, he goes to John and he makes uh, he tells Peter how he's gonna how he's gonna basically meet his end. He says, "You're gonna serve me to the end," and you know and. Then Peter looks at John and he says, well, what about this one? And Peter, uh, Jesus basically says, what's that to you? What is that to you? And what I felt the Lord telling me earlier this week is when, when I was asking him about Psalm 91 and these people in this group that have happened, he says, what is that to you? You need to follow me. I've, you've been called for a purpose, and that purpose does not change. Just like he called Peter. He, he called Peter, and, you know, Peter wanted to know about John. Jesus says, hey, what's that to you? You've been called, follow me. And he told me the same thing. And I thought, for a minute, I thought, that's really harsh, Lord. You normally don't talk to me that way. You know, and it was like audible. I was in the back of the truck unloading, un unloading the truck with a pallet jack, and it was like audible. I stopped. <laughs> what? I, and I, you know, and he says, I've called you to do what you're doing, and, and you, you pray about that. And I got to thinking about that. I mean, I, I don't doubt for a minute that Peter had any less hope in Jesus Christ after he made that clear to Peter. And I don't doubt that any of those other disciples or John had any less hope because they knew that there were things going on around them, right? Because hope isn't happiness. Hope is understanding the promise, right? If you think hope is happiness and joy, joy is a thing, but it's not happiness. It's not that I have to like everything going on around me all the time. It's that I'm comfortable with everything going on around me because his feathers are covering me, right? I am in the nest. 
I'm protected. And I went back at this, and, and I, I looked back at Psalm 91, and I, so I read it again. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. You know, that's a promise. And, and the weird thing is, is it's, it's something for us to claim that a thousand are going to fall at one side and 10,000 to the right side. It's another thing to see it. I think we're seeing it right now, right? They're reporting on it. And he's saying, don't be shaken. Don't be shaken. And that you can't have a Psalm 91 and we can't have churches running around claiming Psalm 91, Psalm 91 without recognizing that there are people going to fall. And some of them are going to be believers and some of them are going to be believers, right? If they're believers, praise the Lord. If they're not, it breaks my heart. But to claim the fullness of Psalm 91, to claim the fullness of the promise, to be protected from something means somebody is not protected, right? It means something if I go to somebody and say, you know what, there's protection in Jesus Christ. There's salvation in Jesus Christ. Save me from what? Right? Save you for eternity. That's what. It's real. It's real. But you can't get to that realness without having a thousand and ten thousand that may not be in the right boat and he says that doesn't change what I'm calling you to do right what is it to you your call is the same Glenn your call is the same go do it and and it was harsh I told Bernie I says Bernie's my wife I told her I says man I don't know if this is just for me where he's kind of every now and then he gives he gives me I, I call it the wire brush it was like well I was getting him and I was following him and then it's like, oh, I'm going to wire brush him a little bit because he's not quite listening to everything I'm saying. And, you know, I said, okay, I got that one, Lord. I understand. Right? And I, he, I felt like I was, need to share that corporately with the church. That's not just for you, Glenn. It's for the church because there's hope in that. There's hope in understanding the fullness of these scriptures. And eternity is real. Salvation is real. It's a big deal. Right? And timeliness is of the essence. And so that's why Saul, that's, that's part of the, the, the thing about this. And in verse 8 it says, Only with your own eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. I see the reward of the wicked all, all around us. Right? That's part of what's breaking my heart is I'm like, Lord, why are people's hearts so hard? What, what is going on to where what they're saying is good is bad and bad is good? People are lying and, and they don't even know they're lying anymore. And they're saying, this is acceptable and this is right. And they're virtue signaling about all these things. And all the virtue signaling has little to do with God's truth. Right? And we're seeing that play out. We're seeing it play out in society. And we're trying to make an impact on it. But that's, that's what I see here. And he says, you're going to see it playing out with your own eyes. Then verse 9 says, because you've made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling right? I'm claiming that promise right now, right? And I'm claiming this fellowship is my dwelling. This is my family, right? This is my family. This is our church family. This is our dwelling. I declare this truth of the Lord over this fellowship, over this family, right? That's, that's in bounds. That's a fair prayer, 
That is a fair prayer. I declare the truth of that right now because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high your dwelling. Hallelujah, this is my dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you and keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. All right? I mean, there's a whole sermon wrapped around that too, but my view, my short Glenn Graham translation is, look, you, you can trample evil underneath your foot anytime you want. And the name that trumps all that is Jesus Christ, right? All the authority I have is on Jesus, right? At his name, at his name, everybody bows. At his name, that's the name above all names. That's how we do all the trampling. It'll be serpent trampling all over the place, right? That's that's the promise, and I declare that over this fellowship, over my family, over your families, by the truth of his word. Amen? Amen? And then the last part of this thing, verses 14, 15, and 16 are God's response. So the, the first 13 verses are like a, a plea and a, uh, like a declaration. God has a response. These last three, these last three verses is God responding to the reader. And it says, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. Thank you, Jesus. I love knowing I can call on him and he'll answer me, right? When I call daddy, daddy's, he picks up the phone. It doesn't ring for a long time. I don't get voicemail. He answers the phone. He says, son, daughter, what do you need? Right? That's his promise. And I know it because he answered me the other day in the truck when I wasn't quite ready for it. I was fussing, and he says, what do, you, what do you want to hear? You want to hear something? Okay, boom. Okay, back to this. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. How many of us want him to be with us in trouble? Hallelujah. I will deliver him and honor him. Thank you, Father. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. That's how it ends. That's the Lord's three-verse response to the declaration in Psalm 91. And I just think that is so beautiful, right? That's, that's the promise all of us have to go out on. And so if we're going to claim Psalm 91, I think we need to claim it and walk in it during these times. That gives us great hope, right? That's, that's, that's why I have such great hope. Because I trust the one single provider, Jesus Christ. And when doubt starts to come in, I go back to these things, right? I go back to these things and I read them and I read them and I read them. And I'm like, look, I, I, I don't need another news broadcast. I don't need another this. What I need to do is I need to receive this into my spirit, into my heart, into my mind. And I'm just going to declare it. I speak it out loud, right? I speak it out loud. The reason I speak it out loud I'm going down a whole nother bunny pal. I better wrap up. We got a couple more minutes. We got, we got time. I declare it out loud because I want all the angels that are out ministering to the saints, I want them to know what I want done. Right? It says the angels are ministering to the saints. Right? I figure there's a bunch of angels sitting around because enough of the church doesn't ask for things. I want extra. Right? And I declare it. I'm declaring Psalm 91. When I declared that, I declared it over this fellowship. I declared it over our families. Angels just got assignments, right? Not everybody has to ask for it, but we're going to ask for it. I'm going to speak it out loud, right? I'm going to speak it out loud because I want to declare it because I want to make my intentions known. 
right? And angels are on assignment doing that. Praise the Lord. Those are the same angels. Psalm 91 says they're there to help that I don't dash my foot. Well, what else do you want done? Well, this is what I want done. Praise the Lord. I'm asking in accordance with his word. I'm praying his word. That's my declaration. I'm not asking for anything new. I'm just asking what Father, God the Father already said. And if I'm asking what he said, then by definition, it must be a good, legitimate ask. And these angels are looking for something to do. Praise the Lord. I'm going to empower them to do that. I'm going to claim that and walk in it. Right? Praise the Lord. We can all do that. We can all do that, and we should all do that because that's what the scriptures tell us to do, right? There's nothing mystical in it. There's nothing hidden there. It's all truth. We just need to walk in the truth and ignore all the stuff that's not true. Amen? All right, I'm going to close this. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for the examples, Lord Jesus, that you gave us when you were walking on this earth teaching the disciples and I thank you for the great commission that you've given each of us to go and teach everything that you taught them we're still in the business of teaching people and leading people to salvation and Lord I ask that you just continue to pour your spirit out over us inspire us renew us guide us and lead us Lord we love you and we praise you and we ask these things in your holy name Lord Jesus thank you Amen, Amen.